When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Hello, welcome to Cadogan Hall here in central London. I'm Zainab Badawi, your host and moderator for this Intelligence Squared debate, Sex, Bugs and Videotapes, the Private Lives of Public Figures Deserve More Protection from the Press. Well, of course, privacy laws vary widely in different parts of the world, but press intrusion into the private lives of well-known people has become increasingly controversial in recent years, with many reputations destroyed and careers ruined. At issue is where should we draw the line between the right to privacy and the public interest, and how should this be enforced? Well, we have four panellists today, two arguing for the motion, two against For the motion, the former motor racing boss, Max Mosley. Rachel Atkins, a lawyer specialising in privacy and defamation. Arguing against the motion, the investigative journalist and author, Tom Bauer, and Ken MacDonald, the former director of public prosecutions here in the UK. That's our panel. Welcome to you all. So... Our first speaker arguing for the motion, Max Mosley. He's the former head of the FIA, which is the International Motor Racing Organization. And of course, in 2008, he took legal action against a British newspaper that has published lurid details of his sex life and is currently brought a case at the European Court of Human Rights against UK privacy laws. Max Mosley, your time starts now. Well, good evening, everyone, and thank you for being here. And I think I should start by saying that the debate this evening is about freedom of the individual. I think it may be suggested at some point it's about freedom of the press. It isn't. It's about freedom of the individual. And in particular, 
It's about the very disagreeable way in which the newspapers pick on an individual. Now, you might think, well, yes, but it's just a bit of fun on a Sunday morning for the people who read the news of the world. But the truth of the matter is that for the individual concerned, it's appalling. It can be really bad, particularly if the things which are revealed are things that you're very anxious to keep secret. Not because you're ashamed of them, but because you don't want them on the front page of a newspaper. You don't want that sort of thing on the front page of the newspaper any more than you would want your ablutions in the morning or any other thing that you do. It's private. The essence of sex is that it's private. It shouldn't be published. Well, then you have these newspapers. The Daily Mail is a good example. They think, or their editor, Mr. Dacre, thinks, he has the right to pillory individuals if they do something he doesn't approve of. In my case, he said that I was guilty of, quote, unimaginable depravity. But of course, it raises the interesting question of what, in Mr. Dacre's eyes, is ordinary depravity. <laughs> and apparently, it's leaving the light on while you're doing it. then a man like that is allowed to pillory you. And really the only people that think they can go into the bedroom of consenting adults and tell them what they should or should not do are the Taliban and Mr. Dacre. He's the the Kensington Taliban, actually, a rather watered-down version. But the sentiment is the same. I don't approve of it. Therefore, even in the privacy of your bedroom, even in the privacy of your own home, you may not do it because I don't approve of it. Well, in my submission, that is simply not allowed in a a civilised society. But, of course, sometimes you have something which the public need to know because they have to make a decision about the person who is the subject of the story. Well, that is something completely different, and everyone would acknowledge that in that case, where the public do need to know because of things they have to do, the story should be told despite the pain for the individual. But who should decide? Well, of course, in the estimation of the newspapers, it should be them. They think it completely wrong that a judge should decide something like that. On the contrary... It should be decided by the editor in the editorial board without reference to the person concerned. Could you really trust those people with your freedom, with your, uh, with your privacy? Would you really be happy with people who are prepared to engage in full-on criminality to decide whether your private life should be exposed or not? And the problem with privacy, an invasion of privacy is once it's published, you can't unpublish it. Once people know, they can never be made to unknow. So once it's published, you're then left with the only possibility is you can sue, go to court, and sue for damages. Well, I felt that it was something I absolutely had to do. So knowing those risks, I sued. What happened? Fortunately, I won. I got record damages So finally then, in my summary, I don't think it is all right for a newspaper or for a group of people to torment an individual like they would children tormenting somebody in a playground. The rule of law 
if it requires anything, requires access to the courts. You can only be guaranteed access to the court if you have notice of what they're going to publish about you. So prior notification is essential, and that's why we're going to Strasbourg. And also, it means with prior notification, it's a judge that decides whether your private life is put on the front page of a newspaper, not an editor. And that's how I think it should be. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed, Max Mosley, for making the opening arguments in our debate. Now arguing against the motion is the investigative journalist and best-selling author of 18 books, Tom Bauer, and he's written biographies on Conrad Black and Richard Branson and Mohammed Al-Fayed, quite a collection of tycoons. So, Tom Bauer, your time starts now. Uh, Good evening. Let's not dispute that being the son of Oswald Mosley isn't easy. And uh, Max Mosley has presented a very compelling case uh, by why he was traduced. But let's acknowledge one thing, that when he was in the position when the article was published, Max Mosley ran the regulatory authority for Formula One, which is a worldwide authority which is responsible not least for the Formula One races, which are watched by no less than 154 billion separate viewings in one season. The millions of fans across the world do have a right to know that if the regulator of their sport actually is an anti-Semitic man who mocks the Holocaust, that is something which is essentially public interest. And if, if Max Mosley had been guilty and had been involved in that mocking of Jews, then the news of the world would have been right to expose it. However, the news of the world didn't have that evidence. They invented what was just a good old-fashioned British sex orgy, titillated up with a Nazi theme. And they were wrong. And they were so wrong that the judge awarded, as Max said, record damages, and as a result of that shows that in this country, the privacy of public figures is protected. I do not believe that anything more has to be said about Moses' case because what we are concerned about here is nothing less than the freedom of speech. There's nothing less than rooting out corruption. And we all know who they are, the rich listers, the people in Westminster, the people in the city, the people in the media, the celebrities. Now, let us look further at these attempts of protecting privacy. The most famous and most notorious is Nomi Campbell. Here's a well-known, famous, beautiful model who was accused in the Daily Mirror of being an abuser of alcohol and drugs. She said she wasn't. She insisted that that was untrue. The Daily Mirror then photographed her leaving a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and said, Nomi Campbell is a liar. She appealed up to the Court of Appeal and then to the House of Lords. And the House of Lords found that Nomi Campbell, although she was lying, and although she was a person who was profiting from her public image, had the right to lie and to protect her privacy. Because Nomi Campbell lives off her image. She lives off the belief that we think she is an honest person. If we follow the proposers of this motion, that sort of truth would be prevented. That sort of knowledge about public people would be protected by the privacy laws. And I say that's wrong. It is a hypocrisy 
which is undermining the fundamental democracy in this country. Now, you may be surprised to know, when I began thinking about this speech, I thought I'd tell you something with a big if and caveats and everything, that perhaps Wayne Rooney, perhaps Wayne Rooney didn't play so well in South Africa because perhaps he was bonking someone and there was a problem. The news of the world told us that was true. Now, what is interesting is that Wayne Rooney didn't even try to get an injunction on privacy because he knew he was banged to rights. Now, what I'm trying to explain to you here is that this country, the use of privacy, is now being used by people who before would have used the laws of libel. And the courts are assisting these major personalities in our society to blur the issue between libel, which is very expensive to defend and not so easy to prove nowadays in front of a jury with privacy. My point is simply this. Just imagine that it wasn't Max Mosley in the basement, but it was Gordon Brown. Now, let's imagine that Gordon Brown, of course, he wouldn't have had five hookers because a Scotsman, he would have tried to make it cheaper. He would have had two. <laughs> and he would undoubtedly have said, I want two for the price of one. You might argue, Max Mosley, that he had the right to privacy in that basement because, after all, it was a private sexual act. My argument is that he had no right to privacy because he exposed himself to blackmail. His hypocrisy, the man of the moral compass, the man who talks about prudence, the man who talks about his father's sermons, has no right, when he's the Prime Minister, to rights of privacy, even in the basement. And I will leave you with this thought that in Britain I have no doubt that Gordon Brown would have got the protection of the courts just as President Clinton would have with Monica Lewinsky because they would have both argued that the, their privacy is sacrosanct and the public interest didn't apply. The media today, in my argument, have too little power, not too much. And I therefore ask you to oppose this motion. John Bauer, thank you very much indeed. And um, arguing for the motion is Rachel Atkins. She's a partner with a top law firm here in London that specialises in protecting the reputations of high-profile individuals and organisations. And amongst others, she has acted successfully for the footballer Wayne Rooney and the actress Kate Winslet. Rachel Atkins, your time starts now. I'm going to deal very, very briefly with three areas. Destruction and devastation, as as Max has um, most eloquently put it, of infringements of privacy. A tiny bit of what laws are in place and an explanation of what we might define as a public figure. And the threats, as the motion sets out, of sex, bugs and videotapes. And hopefully you will agree with me and Max rather than, so far, Tom, that public figures actually deserve more protection, not less, from the press. So firstly, very briefly, the devastation. Two examples. William Hague, can you really think of anything more private to any of us than having to speak publicly about miscarriages and your relationship with your wife? Really, does anyone deserve that? And one individual, and I won't name him, 
for obvious privacy reasons. His family were killed in a um, car crash. Complete tragedy, really awful. Not only did he have to face the photographs apparently being published in the public interest once, but again and again those photos come up. Do we really all have the right to see that? And do those people deserve that intrusion? And just dealing secondly with the definitions for a second on what's a public figure and what are the laws in place? Well, a public figure could be defined as anyone who's gained prominence in the community, willingly or unwillingly. So what does that mean? Well, as Tom Bauer just pointed out, perhaps that refers to someone like the Prime Minister. You'd think he's paid by the state. That was Gordon Brown. That sounds sensible. But does that follow through? If the Prime Minister is paid by the state, are civil servants also public figures? Farmen? Nurses? Do they too deserve the exposure? And there are laws, as Max says, that are currently in place. They just need to be enforced or go further. Privacy is a human right. It's enshrined by international statutes. It's not just something made up by judges. It's akin to the right not to be tortured and the right to a fair trial. But let's face it, taking the lawyers out of this, the real question is a commercial one. The editor thinks, with this intrusion into someone's private life, am I going to sell more copies? Will people buy more papers? Am I really likely to be sued? If I am, what will it cost me? And dealing with this topical debate, sex, bugs and videotapes, what threats do we face from them? 80% of the intrusions into privacy are about sex. The press will tell you it's in the public interest. We will have the right to know. Is it really in the public interest? Does it contribute to the debate within society? Or is it just interesting to the public? People don't necessarily choose to be public figures. It could be you in the future or your children. We need to keep pace with technology. And let's move away from the commercial decision to publish or not. I'm going to use a quote from Piers Morgan, who helpfully um, handed me this in his book, The Insider. He was about to publish potentially unlawful allegations, as he admits. He turns round to his lawyer at the newspaper and says, what happens if I get it wrong? The lawyer apparently puts up five fingers to show 50,000, and he says, well, okay, it's worth a front page. Let's enforce the laws that are there. Let's move forward and protect everyone's human rights. And I urge you to support the motion. Thank you. Rachel Atkins, thank you very much. And our final speaker... Speaking against the motion is another top lawyer, Ken MacDonald. He's a former director of public prosecutions here in the UK. He's a member of the House of Laws for the Liberal Democrats, and he's currently a visiting professor of law at the London School of Economics. Ken MacDonald, your time starts now.
Um, I've debated these issues before with Max, but I think there is a, a wider point here which they haven't addressed. The question really is, is our privacy law and the way that it's developing striking an appropriate balance between the right to privacy and free expression? And remember those words, free expression. I think there are three reasons why it may not be. And firstly, because it's difficult in advance for editors to know where judges will place the public interest in these cases. It's essentially unknowable. Um, it's difficult to predict what the results will be if people bring privacy actions. And I think a clear effect of that is to encourage caution in editors. It's at least a substantial risk. Now, caution in editors, I would argue, in a free society is exactly a wrong cast of mind. It's a bad thing. I don't think we want cautious newspaper editors. Caution isn't the cast of mind that brought us the exposure here in the UK of the thalidomide scandal. And it's certainly not the cast of mind that's bringing us the Guardian's approach to uh, the phone hack scandal at the moment. My second point is this. Who does privacy law belong to? People to go to law to protect their privacy tend to be people of influence in many spheres. People without money and power don't get to put a price on their secrets. They can't afford it. Models, actors, sports people, business people, politicians are in a different position. Privacy law doesn't belong to everybody. It belongs to them. And it's the reporting of these people which is being curtailed. And again, I make no judgment about the merits or otherwise of their claims but I do make a judgment about a world in which every journalist and editor is thinking twice about printing stories concerning influential classes of litigant. I think this is a world where we'll see less investigation and more self-censorship in relation to powerful and influential people. Now, is this a good thing? Well, if it merely throws tittle-tattle and gossip, which is essentially the argument uh, of Rachel and Max, possibly... But if it, in reality, has the capacity to teach the press to probe less, to inquire less into influential people, it's a very bad thing indeed. But it's also for another reason, and this brings me to a third point. And it concerns the character of the business of privacy protection. There is a risk that in some cases at least, what we're talking about really, rather than protection of privacy, is image control. I know privacy lawyers get very angry about this, but there are plainly cases in which that is happening. And we are being asked to give up so much for that. It's one thing to limit freedom of expression in circumstances so extreme that we have no other choice, but what we're considering tonight is not the extreme cases which will always make bad law. We're considering where the balance should lie. It used to be thought that Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights, the guarantee of our right to speak frankly and freely trumped everything. It was the ace in the deck. Perhaps that was a bit too fundamentalist, but now more and more, more and more threadbare, free speech is to be balanced against privacy. They're almost competing rights. Is that the situation that we really want to be in? We don't have to look too far to see what kind of media this philosophy would bring us. A dear friend and colleague of mine, Hugh Tomlinson, who's a QC in, in, in the chambers in which I work, spoke about where privacy law is going a year or so ago. And I just wanted to listen to this. 
if you're thinking of voting for this motion. This is what Hugh, the great expert, says, and I'll finish this in a minute. The law of privacy has come a long way in a short time. Many issues remain unresolved or only partly clear. The law of privacy is slowly having an impact on the staple fare of the British tabloid reader. We're gradually moving from, from a position where anything could be published, unless it was forbidden, to the opposite. Nothing can be published unless it can be justified. Under the influence of human rights case law from Strasbourg, we are moving slowly but inescapably towards the stricter privacy protection of French or Italian law. Know what you're voting for. Ken McDonald, thank you very much indeed. So, we've heard um, our speakers, but before we throw the debate open to the floor, I'm going to tell you how our audience voted as they came in to listen to this debate for the motion, 236, against the motion, 203. Now, key thing, the undecideds are 120. So, panel, there's all to play for. This could go either way, but at the moment, for the motion, slightly ahead. Now, I should just say, if you want to um, get a free briefing on the issues covered in this debate, you can download it free from www.intelligencesquared.com. So, let's uh, hear from our audience. And since you're there and your hand darted up so quickly, I'll let you do stand up. Uh, Oliver Cam of The Times. My question is to Max Mosley. Your speech dealt entirely with the private lives of public figures in bed. That is a subsection of the subject. Let me give you a counterexample. The Watergate tapes, never intended to be made public, disclosed that the President of the United States was a foul-mouthed anti-Semite. I'm suggesting that that is a perfectly reasonable private issue for the press to disclose. How could it possibly not be? First of all, the reason that I concentrated particularly on private lives, as you put it, in bed, is because those are the instances where the press go to enormous trouble to stop you finding out so that you are unable to go to a judge and ask for an injunction. When you get to the wider area, an example that you've given, there they would normally approach the person, and then the person, having been approached, could go to a judge. If he goes to a judge... The judge will weigh, as Ken McDonald was saying, Article 10 against Article 8, the right to the freedom of speech versus the right to a private life. In the instance you gave, it would be, to me, absolutely clear that they would say, go ahead and publish. It's only when there is no public interest, in the broadest sense of the word, something the public need to know, and that they would need to know. All right. I mean, panel, do you think... Do public well, I think, I think where the British courts went so wrong was on Tiger Woods. He was a man who earned a fortune from publishing and promoting himself as a family man. When he was exposed that he was a serial bonker and adulterer, he, was, he immediately came to England where the British judges gave him an injunction to prevent the British press publicising what the whole world already knew and what he admitted. And that is the folly. Let's get a couple more points from the floor and stand up and say your position if it's relevant. Brief, please. Yeah. I'll take a couple and then I'll come to you, panel. My question is for Rachel. Um, How many applications for super injunctions 
have shillings made in the last five years, and how many of these were against individuals rather than the press? Okay, another point. Many surveys of sexual health, sexual behaviour and sexual attitudes show that things that are exposed in the press by people who are famous are completely the norm. So why does the public need to have the right to know about this? I would maintain that discussing uh, sexual attitudes which... Uh, the rest of the population takes part in is of no consequence. Go ahead, and then I'll come to you. Um, If we were on live TV and I stood up and started spouting foul-mouthed allegations about the private lives of the two gentlemen against this uh, motion, would they not be pleased by the momentary delay before this is actually broadcast, (laughs) during which the editor could cut those comments... And is that merely what Max Mosley is asking for? I'm going to take that straight away. I'll come back to you in a moment. Um, yeah. MacDonald, how embarrassed would you be about that? Well, um, it, ha- it has happened, actually. Not, not quite in that form. Um, what was said? What was said? Uh, I'm not telling you. Um, <laughs> in, in response to the first question, I, I quite agree with you that the fact that someone is a public figure doesn't mean that, that as a result of that, their sex life should be public. I think so far as the, the, the delay is concerned, I have to say I agree with Max Mosley on the point about newspapers warning people that they're going to print stories about them so that they can have recourse to the law. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I believe in the law. If people have legal rights, they should be... Uh, able to enforce them. And if people aren't notified in advance that newspapers are going to publish stories about them, they can't uh, enforce those rights. So I don't disagree with you at all about that. All right. Tom Bauer, I mean, you've written these exposés about these public figures on the basis that the public have a right to know. If the tables were turned and we started learning about your private life, your sex life, how would you feel about that? It's very boring and you'd be bored. (laughs) (laughs) They they always say that. They always say that. (laughs) But would you... uh, <laughs> Why? My, wife is, my wife is disagreeing. <laughs> Look, the point is that we shouldn't be diverted by the sex thing because privacy does not only involve sex, it involves all activities. And the point is that some people's private lives, when they are public figures, actually do impinge on your judgment whether they are fit to either run a country, a corporation, or be a celebrity. Max, let's just pick up on that. I mean, uh, would you like Britain to be like France, for instance, where for years the press couldn't publish anything about the fact that the late President François Mitterrand had a mistress and an illegitimate child? Do you want to go see Britain go that way? I, I, I'm very, personally, I'm very content with the law that we've got, which is that the, they weigh carefully the public interest versus the right to privacy and come down on one side or the other. And what I find attractive about the law that we've got is the the way in which it's done. If you take the Naomi Campbell case, if you read the judgment in the House of Lords, or it's now called the Supreme Court, three judges were on one side and two on the other, and it's a wonderfully balanced argument. And that's, I think, how it should be. I don't think one should have some draconian rule. And then Tom's other theory, which is that people like Wayne Rooney get millions because they have a wonderful family image is, again, I don't think in accordance with the facts. I think the reason Rooney earns millions is because he's a very good footballer. There are thousands... All right. There are many people out there with a nice family, but they don't get millions, so it's just nonsense, that argument. Rachel Atkins, uh, you actually um, have 
acted on behalf of Wayne Rooney, the footballer, of course currently mired in these allegations, he's not admitted to them, that he, um, although he's married to Colleen, has um, actually used the services of a prostitute. Um, What advice would you give him? Well, as, as, as you know, I'm obviously a privacy lawyer, so I'd stand by that and I won't talk about individual specifics about individual clients. And, and as Max says, you know, um, cases vary with, depending on who the individual is. And are you acting for him now? Have you been asked to represent him again? Um, we, we act for Wayne Rooney, and I won't give any more details on that. All right, OK. There was one specific question to you about your firm, Shillings, and the um, number of applications that... Um, your firm is currently involved in. So just answer that question, please. Uh, Privacy injunctions have been going on for years, hundreds of years. Um, The press have invented this word super injunction. It sounds sexy. It's it's a great way of attacking various things at law. But it makes sense, let's face it, if someone obtains a privacy injunction, why is it right that everyone should know William Hague obtained a privacy injunction? So that then there's the jigsaw effect of people guessing what they obtained it on, speculation on the internet, and you know, there's almost no point to the law then, because people speculate anyway, and how do you stop that? I should just remind people that William Hague, of course, the British Foreign Secretary, current allegations in a newspaper, printed photographs of him with this young aide, and the implication being that they were involved in some kind of relationship, and he has said categorically that he has never been involved yep. in a homosexual relationship just to make that clear. And, um, but he was forced just by the speculation. Mm. I mean, that proves the point. Um, the problem is the misinformation, the falsities that are out there. He was forced by these allegations that were being made, not even true, to come out with the most personal private statement, almost to protect himself. On a slightly broader point, I understand this programme is going out to an audience of about 70 million people. I don't think shillings could have afforded uh, this kind of um, publicity, and I think we should stop talking about them. Can I just mention my own law firm again, Matrix Chambers? Uh, no, job, no job too big or too small and very reasonable rates. I didn't mention, I didn't mention shillings. I think it was somebody in the audience who did. Um, question from the floor there. Yes, the lady. If you could stand up and uh, introduce yourself. Thank you. Henrietta Royal, isn't actually the example of William Hague demonstration that actually the law, uh, uh, an enhanced privacy law, is is a nonsense because it can't be enforced? In fact, the allegations about William Hague were all over the internet, uh, and that was really what drove him to make his statement. Uh, Things are published in other parts of the world. Things go all around the internet. The papers are increasingly... Uh, not the source, main source of, of, of information for most people, particularly the young. They get it from the internet. It's not something that, I, that anybody can go and get an injunction against. And actually, isn't this all a rather desperate trying to close the door on merely one part of the media, which is actually, many people take a view, is actually the dying part of the media. Okay, I mean, that's a very good point. Uh, is this discussion, this debate, academic? Well, I, mean, I, I think this is a, a serious point, and we struggled with it um, in criminal justice for years, trying to protect uh, juries from what they might read about a case on the internet, material they weren't supposed to know about while they were trying it. And in essence, we, 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 we're finally giving up and just concluding that you, know, you have to expect juries to try cases fairly, and they're told to do that. So I think this is a serious issue around privacy because policing the internet is 
is, uh, is really, I think, an unmanageable task. Yep. I'd like to go just to the, the MP's expenses scandal. That was leaked because somebody paid somebody uh, £300,000, the Telegraph. If that hadn't happened, we'd never have heard all the details about the Duck Island and the moats and everything else like that. And I think that really was in the public interest. So I, I'm against this motion. Thank you. Rachel Atkins, you know, the old maxim, publish and be damned. And would we perhaps stifle that in some way so that we would lose the accountability and the fighting corruption that we have here? Well, uh, this, this debate, in a sense, it's, it's not to cover up corruption. And Max's point, you know, we are talking here about private lives, consenting adults. Uh, we, we are not here talking about illegal activities or what people may have done wrong. The terrible thing about this debate is it's not just about sex. It is about the control of this country. It is about the democracy of this country. And I don't yes. think, Max, you can become the president of the FIA with all the power you had and say that you should be insulated in your private life if he had done something wrong in his private life and it did actually was of public interest what he had done. He should have been exposed. Surely you'd agree with that. But this is, I'm sorry, Tom, but this is such nonsense. The, the point is really very, very simple, that a judge listens to both sides and having listened to both sides reaches a decision. And that's what the rule of law is all about. And the rule of law is a fundamental part of the democracy you talk about. Now, what you're saying is that instead of having a very clever, very neutral, independent judge deciding... It should be some dodgy editor who's prepared to engage in criminality and that he should be the one in charge. Well, I'm sorry, I can't agree, and I don't think any reasonable person would agree. All right. Well, we had one question about the expenses scandal and so on. Just a quick comment on that, perhaps from you, Ken. I mean, would tighter well, I mean, privacy I, laws affect that? I, I mean, the, the, I know that um, a, a number of MPs, and I think the, the Speaker at one stage, tried to, tried to pretend that these were all private issues that people weren't entitled to know about. The reality is I can't imagine even a fairly robust privacy law would have protected MPs from the revelation of that sort of material. It's clearly in the public interest for people to know how public servants spend their um, expense money, particularly if they're spending it on things like tennis courts and moats uh, and duck houses. So I don't think even people who are in favour of privacy law would argue that that sort of material should be kept from the public domain. Right. More questions from the floor, more comments. Yes, the lady there, and then we'll take one there. Are the opposition to the motion seriously asking us to compare the brilliant investigations that expose thalidomide to the weekly investigations that expose shock horror that footballers are unfaithful to their wives? And can we as a society not distinguish between the investigative journalism that we need, that is in the public interest, and the stuff we've learned about Rooney, which will benefit not a single member of the public, will just make us depressed about society? Uh, Howard Kay, um, I didn't understand the point that Ken McDonald made that cautious editorials or cautious editors were somehow inconsistent with free speech. I simply didn't understand that at all. Um, or the comparison with, from what we just heard there, um, uh, lurid stories of people, what they get up to in their bedrooms with serious journalism in relation to things like thalidomide and so on. So I, I think that's just scaremongering. Uh, the second point is that nothing I've heard 
has at all persuaded me that the, the decision as to what's in the public interest should be in the hands of uh, an editor in, in Fleet Street who's concerned only with how many newspapers he sells rather than with an independent judge. Okay. Yep. Um, the, the issue here is about, I think it's not really about privacy because I don't think the answer, there's an answer to your question is it depends. Um, but it's really about professionalism in journalism and there is actually such a thing. And um, even though it is a trade and also about access to justice because fundamentally it's the, the, the Mosley case was really about whether or not an editor was, um, you know, fundamentally making stuff up. I don't think that's got anything to do with the law. That's just got to do with very bad practice. And um, I don't really think that judges should be allowed to edit our newspapers, otherwise Lord knows what we'd be reading. And the answer to the idea of whether or not we should be listening to the, uh, the readers of the news of the world is, well, yeah, because we don't, might not like it, but they read a lot of newspapers and they are the public, and I think there's nothing wrong with listening to them. Okay. Yep. Don't you think that privacy also has a place in a, a free country that, um, that it prevent, um, with privacy it prevents government or... Um, or media and corporation from being able to blackmail um, individuals um, in, into, um, into submission. Right, okay. Well, sort of a theme there, panel, on some of the questions. I mean, should we allow the judges, basically, to edit what goes into our newspapers, or do we allow the editors? I mean, that was kind of one message. And then also scaremongering. You are on this side against the motion by saying that we would lose serious investigative journalism into things like the thalidomide drug scandal. Yeah, I, I, don't, think, I don't think anyone's suggesting that, that a process like this would happen overnight. But I think what people should do is um, look, look to countries where they have very developed privacy jurisdictions and look at what the press is like um, in those countries. You might take us to quite good examples, France and Italy, which uh, my friend and colleague Hugh, Hugh Tomlinson mentioned uh, last year, saying that we were moving in that direction. I think it's, it's a, a fairly accurate observation that if you look at jurisdictions which have developed privacy jurisdictions, there is less intensive investigative journalism than there is in countries that don't. Okay, Tom, I mean, you know, we had that question. Are you seriously saying that we need to be able to pry into the private lives of people like footballers, in order to be able to protect genuine investigative journalism. But, you see, the whole point here is that you're taking the example of footballers to hit the whole of investigative journalism, and it's really only a tiny part of journalism. It may be, at the moment, the headlines. Let me give you... I've been thinking about... Because this man, this gentleman here, who suggested that the world, that Britain should be run by independent judges, and I've never, in all my experience, met an independent judge. I've only met prejudiced judges, so that's a unique species. And what is proposed today will actually limit... The, the, the nature of democracy in this country, and then you just slide into the corruption you okay. see in Greece and other countries. All right. Thanks very much, Tom. Okay. All right. Um, thank you, uh, audience, for now, because um, I'm going to ask you to vote again on this motion. The private lives of public figures deserve more protection from the press. And we're going to listen again to our panellists, and they're going to be making their points, this time in reverse order. So, Ken MacDonald, former Director of Public Prosecutions here in the UK, please make your closing arguments. As, as I suggested a moment ago, I think we need to situate this discussion firmly within a, what I would see as a growing tendency to undermine um, free speech here uh, in the United Kingdom. And I think this is a, an issue we need to address urgently before it goes 
too far. And I'm particularly interested in the extent to which this is happening in the field of criminal law, which is my field. We have broadening categories of hate speech, even to include religion, as though idea systems needed or deserved the special protection of the law. We have a welter of terrorism legislation, possession of articles that are freely um, available on the internet can lead to prosecution and conviction. Offences of encouraging terrorism much below incitement can lead to conviction. In, in many, many fields, our law, both criminal and civil, is beginning to engage with free speech in ways quite undreamt of, even 5, 10, certainly 15 or 20 years ago. These things, I think, can creep up on you. I don't want to be alarmist about this, but they can creep up on you, and we need to be aware that it's happening. And I repeat, I think this is a very unhappy time for us to be placing whole categories of journalism into a box marked uh, forbidden. Okay. Ken McDonnell, thank you very much. Arguing for the motion, make your closing arguments, please. Rachel Atkins. Thank you. Well, the starting point is everyone, whoever they are, is entitled to a private life. They start with a private life. And even Tom Bauer has threatened to use the law through um, our firm when an allegation was made against him in the Independent that he didn't like. <laughs> We're not talking about exposés of corruption. And as, as Max has so cleverly explained, as it stands, the law on the paper ought to protect private lives. But we've all shown lots of examples where it's ignored. All of us, the public figures, private figures, the public figures deserve more. Thank you. Thank you. Rachel Atkins now arguing against the motion, making his final arguments, Tom Bauer, best-selling investigative author. I should just say in parenthesis that uh, I've never used shillings, but I did threaten to use shillings. I got a settlement immediately. So, <laughs> so I, got, I got it very cheap. <laughs> uh, look, the, the essence is really this. That is where the privacy laws are going. They are going beyond the libel laws. They are threatening the truth and, the free, and democracy and free expression in this country with the help of the judges and with the help of some very, very potentially rich lawyers. And that is why I'd urge you to reject this motion. And final closing arguments from you, Max Mosley, the former head of the International Motor Racing Organization. The judges have been charged by Parliament with weighing the interests of the privacy of the individual against the public interest in revealing something, and they're the right people to do it. And Tom's theory that people, that all of these secrets will be kept secret, the judge will not allow it. The newspaper's lawyer turns up, says to the judge, this, should, this is in the public interest. If it is, the judge will say yes. There is simply no case, and that's become evident from what they've said. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much, Max Mosley. I can now give you the um, final result. So it's quite different from uh, how the audience voted before the debate. Let me remind you of the motion, sex bugs and videotapes, the private lives of public figures deserve more protection from the press. This is how um, our audience here voted after the debate. For that motion, 200. Against the motion, 278. Still don't know, 22. So... For the motion, you lost 36. Against the motion, you gained 75. You won the motion. Congratulations, you won the debate. Commiserations to the losers.
Thank you, debaters, and thank you to our audience here and to all of you watching this wherever you are from me, Zain Abadawi, from Cadogan Hall in London. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligence Square podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.